like to introduce our speaker to for tonight, Judy. I'm a compulsive overeater. I see a lot of good old friends. I'm sorry I got here late. I didn't get to hug certain people, and I have to leave early. So I uh, have done my usual of overscheduling myself. Hi, Nancy. Um, I love you, too. Actually, if anyone wants to get a hold of me, Nancy will give you my email address, okay, after, because I have to leave. And if you want to call me, uh, goes right to, to my own home. You can call 1-800-8-ENOUGH. That's 800, the number 8-E-N-O-U-G-H. And I'm the only one who answers. So uh, I, I know in New York at meetings, when you send around your, your phone number, you're supposed to check if it's safe. You know, or not. Can you leave a message instead of safe phone? So uh, it's a safe phone. It's good to be here. Thank you. Um, Well, first of all, let me say, uh, I guess I was in the program about a year, or over a year, and I'd lost my major, major weight. I'd lost 85 pounds. I was 20 pounds thinner than I am now. And... um, and I was asked to speak at some meeting, a Bill B's going sane meeting upon uh, Wilshire. And it was very important to me, and I was very worried about I'm going to say the right thing and what newcomers are going to hear, and, you know, it's got to be perfect, and I really practice what I should say, what I should say. And um, so, you know, I talked. And um, then afterwards, this one new, wo- new woman came up to me. She said, you know, I, I had a lot of doubts about this program, but after hearing you, anybody who wears those five-inch heels is my kind of woman. <laughs> so it doesn't matter what you plan to say, it's what you wear. So, uh, so in that line, let's talk about the skirt. <laughs> Sorry for the people on tape, but you must see the back of this skirt. It is so cool. <laughs> Anyway, what it is is that my sponsor, who lives in another state, told me about this skirt that she got. <laughs> so some compulsions still uh, last for a while. <laughs> so she told me about this skirt and where it was, was blah, blah, blah. So I ran quickly in and made a stop, and it was on sale for half price. So I got to wear it. So anyway, I'm very excited about my new skirt. <laughs> and, of course, it will impress some newcomer. <laughs> I suppose I don't know but um, so I, you know I was thinking I, I would like to talk fast and be done quickly because I'd like really rather open it up to questions uh, that I'd love to field I've been in the program a long time 31 years uh, when I got here it was four days before Thanksgiving in 1974 and I said, uh, dear God, then for the next 30, there has to be something different. There has to be more going on in my life than this obsession with what I'm eating, not eating, how I look, holding in my bulges, you know, holding my breath all the time. Um, and I was already a gifted professional. I'd already appeared on television. I'd already been kind of a yaya in my own mind. And... Uh, but really, the most important thing was losing weight. And uh, 
I remember when I first started, my brother came over to visit me, and, and you know, I was telling him that the important things for me were to slice this grapefruit and make a little salad for the week, and that my life had got just gotten, you know. For a while, anyway, I had to focus on this primary thing, and maybe later I could get back to the other rest of my life. And my brother said, I had been running around Hollywood selling myself a lot in those days. And my brother said, you're going to be sorry. You could have had your own TV show. And I said, well, yeah, but maybe I'll be thin. And that's really how it was for me. You know, I just, I wanted to be able to walk into a room without people staring and pointing. And I wanted to be able to eat in a restaurant uh, without all of that. And in fact, very early, I was able to eat in a restaurant because it was so cool that I had cleared my food plan with my sponsor and I could go in a restaurant and eat with the best of them, you know. And people would say, Jake, that's an awfully big salad, isn't it? <laughs> I said, yes. And my sponsor and I said, I can eat your salad. And, uh, you know, it, it just took all that guilt and, and darkness out of it. It was just fuel to stoke your engine. And she told me nobody dies of starvation between lunch and dinner. <laughs> I said, really? Because I thought for sure I would, but I didn't. And um, anyway, so it's, it's been a lovely long haul. Um, but what I'd really like to talk about tonight, and then hope we can field some questions about that, is the fact that it is a spiritual program. And... Um, when I first got here, I told my sponsor, you know, I like everything about the program except the spiritual part. <laughs> I don't like the spiritual part. She said, there is no spiritual part to this program. No spiritual part. It is totally 100% a spiritual program. Hmm. So, you know, they say religion is for people who are afraid of hell and spirituality is for people who have been there. So, you know, we face our hell and we also face our dark side. Uh, actually, I've been attending this conference, which is where I have to get back to because tonight is the Elton John concert. Uh, but this morning I heard Maya Angelou speak and uh, it was really great. And she, she quoted something that I have used quite a bit and that was, nothing human is foreign to me. That anything any other human being has done, I am capable of. And that's in all senses, you know, to the heights of glory, to the depths of degradation. And, um, and I, I lived a really uh, duplicitous life, most of my life, which was heights of glory and depths of degradation. And that conflict had to keep getting worked out over many years in OA. And, you know, I know it started in my childhood because I had a battered childhood and I came from very, very horrific surroundings. And uh, it, so at, at home I was always told you're a piece of doo-doo and you're no damn good. And then I'd go out in the world and i put on my cute little face and people liked me. And then I'd go home and I'd say, people liked me. Well, you've got them fooled. What do they know? You know, so I was always feeling that conflict. Um, and, and still, and the imposter syndrome, you know, always feeling, well, if you did like me, I must have uh, hoodwinked you somehow or uh, sold it to you. And it wasn't that through me. But anyway, I'm just saying all that because in a way we face our dark side. 
and we get to lay it out there totally clean. And, you know, I it's never been as bad as I thought it was. And uh, a few weeks ago I had to tell my AA story, and I was telling, you know, some of the uh, depths of degradation I had gone to. It's not two separate stories, you know. You're the same person. But uh, just the... Um, Anyway, it's just not all that bad. It's really not. And uh, and as I'm around here quite a long time, uh, I see myself becoming who I probably already, always was meant to be, which was a pretty nice person. And just naturally, without even working at it, I often am nice. And uh, it's just amazing to me that I choose the high ground. It just feels better. So, uh, I was thinking, well, so I, most of kind of the spiritual moments in my life have been uh, when things just didn't quite work out as I planned, you know. Now, if anyone here knows the story, I'd love it if you'd email to me or call me, but there's a story kind of a fable about uh, all these things happened to this guy which you would think were the bad thing, but they turned out to be the good thing. You know, like a, his, his horse got lame. Well, the good thing was that his son couldn't run away from home. Oh, but then his son broke his leg. That was a bad thing. But no, it was really a good thing because then the Cossacks couldn't take the son off to war. And that was a bad thing. You know, you know the story? Well, anyway, please, I want to find that story again. I don't, I don't know how it works. Um, but anyway, my, third, my fourth day in this program, I started on a Monday morning, the Monday before Thanksgiving, Palos Verdes Library Women's Meeting. And uh, in the back of the room, uh, this woman, Jocelyn, was handling the li- literature. And I said, you know, I, I just don't think I can do the God stuff. I, I don't like the God stuff. And she handed me the gray sheet. <laughs> this is what I do. And... Uh, and she said, well, you know, about the God stuff, she said, you know, maybe you can do like what the Quakers say, the still small voice within. I said, okay. And actually that still works for me most of the time. So be still and know that I am God. It's here. She's here. Um, but I went home and that, so my fourth day and, you know, if you know about sugar withdrawals, the fourth through the sixth day is usually the worst. So my fourth day is Thanksgiving morning, and I've baked all this stuff for my Aunt Myra's house. And Oh, the, the woman I was attracted to to be my sponsor had been the speaker at that meeting. And uh, she was well-dressed, uh, you know, coiffed. Uh, she was angry as hell. And she talked about her husband and her husband's secretary. And, and you know, you just knew she was going to leave and kill somebody. And thank God. I said, now there is my kind of people. Because everyone else was kind of like a Sarah Syrup talking, grateful, grateful, grateful crap, you know. And uh, she, you know, she had it. So I asked her to be my sponsor. And... Uh, that fourth day, I woke up crying and shaking, and I'm not going to make it. And uh, I called her. Uh, my husband had just come home from a drunk, and so he was building bookcases because he always did a lot of good work in the house when he was guilty. And uh, 
you know, everybody makes their deals. That was our deal. And um, so this woman said, I don't even remember her name, but she said, well, why don't you go off and write? Sit down and write. And so I made a, an elaborate show of getting my papers. And I said, Howard, I'm going to write. And, uh, and I went and I started writing, and I got this calmness came over me. And um, I just, uh, I had a picture of myself as a little, I had lived in Germany, my dad was in the army, and I, it was after the war, and everything was bombed out in Germany, and uh, there were a lot of bombed out buildings, and I was just walking uh, down this little street, and uh, I just got a sense of myself as a three-year-old, and everything was okay, and there was nothing I had to worry about. That, and I and I didn't hear words from on high, but I heard the message. Everything's taken care of. Just stay on the path. It was a crooked, cracked sidewalk. Stay on the path. And I said, "Wow, that must be that higher power stuff they're talking about." I could really feel it in my whole body. I stopped crying, and um, I went to Myra's and ate appropriately. And uh, started on this journey, or stayed on the journey. And uh, but that was my first sense of there's something out there. Uh, then a few years later, I forgot to mention that I, before coming to these programs, I had worked as an expert in the field of drug addiction. I'm a uh, therapist, a marriage and family therapist. I already had my license, and I was helping a lot of people, especially alcoholic families. Uh, I was married to an alcoholic who beat me. Uh, I was hiding that because I didn't want anyone to think I was a lousy therapist, you know. Uh, just all that kind of hidden, hidden, a lot of stuff hidden, you know, like the cat dance, you know, covering up doo-doo in the cat box. It's like my whole life was always, you know, image and cat dance, image, cat dance. And... Um, so, anyway, through a series of events, um, actually, my sponsor, I guess I was about a year and a half in the program, and uh, I lost a lot of weight, I think 60 pounds the first year, and uh, then uh, my sponsor said, you know, you've got to stop working so much. You are race I was racing around L.A. County. I had all these consulting positions. I was very important, and... Uh, she said, you're like on a dry drunk and you're, you know, you're going to relapse. You're just crazed. You have to stop. I said, how can I stop any of this? I'm so important and they need me and yada, yada, yada. And uh, she said, you know, what sponsors always say, well, that's what I would do, you know. See, you can't argue with that, you know. And uh, so... Uh, I gave up 20 hours a week at the Navy Hospital, which was very prestigious. We were treating Betty Ford and uh, a senator and all these people. And uh, I said, space. About two days later, the administrator of another hospital where I was consulting uh, came. He said, geez, you've been really losing a lot of weight, haven't you? I said, yeah. I said, you know what we're doing with the alcoholics on the fourth floor? We could do that for people with food problems. P.S. 
resulted eventually in creating the nation's first eating disorder unit. And, and some of the people in this room have worked for me, and I've trained some of them as counselors. And uh, we had a lot of fun in those days. We were like in the Camelot of treatment at those times. Uh, things changed over the years, and I've gotten out of that aspect. Um, but I, I just had a master's degree at that time, and I had been doing it, but I didn't really know what I was doing. And then it was my job to sell it to the medical committee. This is my second spiritual experience. And by the way, a lot of what I have learned in recovery have been around my work. I don't have children, so my work is my children. I write books. My books are my babies. My my clients are my babies. I just... Uh, so forgive me if... You know, I talk a lot about my work, but it's who I am, or who I have been. I'm sort of semi, uh, not retiring, but uh, refocusing, and uh, withdrawing from some of that so I can write some more, which I love the best. But anyway, I love it also. <laughs> How can you decide what you love the best? The problem is in recovery, there's just so many abundant choices that it's more difficult than in the old days when I was just suffering and surviving and there were just limited options. I didn't need all those meetings, you know, because I knew what to do. But in recovery, I, it's more, you know, shades of gray and better and best and uh, do I deserve to be so happy, joyous, and free and, you know, all that stuff. So it brings up real basic issues, so you have to stay around long enough. And also, that's why we need to come to these meetings where there are other people who are a little bit ahead of us, you know. One of the reasons I got out of the treatment field in, in the sense that I did is that so much became all focused about the past. And it's not about the past. I mean, we all have a great story. Uh, but there are people who have had the same past and not gone the same route. I'm not telling anyone to ignore the past. I'm not minimizing the, the, the uh, scarring that we all bring here. We're all damaged goods. We've all got more scars than just the stretch marks. There's a lot going on. But I need to see other people who are walking ahead of me who've been doing this thing and keep doing it and keep deserving it, you know. So that's why OA is not a treatment center, it's not psychodrama here, you know, it's really practicing behaviors uh, to get out there and, and celebrate. Um, and life doesn't happen here in these rooms, this is training, this is boot camp. So anyway, off the speeching, <laughs> so I was telling you, so, <laughs> so, uh, Okay, so then I had to sell it to the medical committee. And like I say, I didn't have a doctorate, just a master's. So, you know, in medicine, you got to be a doctor. Uh, that's another thing. I finally went and got my Ph.D. because of the encouragement of women at women's meetings. This was in the 70s. I mean, women didn't, you know, it was like, it's going to be bad for your man if you uh, got a degree. But... Uh, and I always say, well, I was supposed to marry one, not be one, you know. <laughs> but anyway, I eventually did that. I, it took 13 years after my two-year master's until I got my Ph.D. But anyway, uh, 
So I said, I've got to sell this thing, so I've got to really practice what I'm going to say to these guys. And in medicine, it's all about cover your ass. You know, they want to see that someone else has done it, so they're not the first one doing it. So I collected all this stuff about, well, the Mayo Clinic does this part, and this place does that part, and the nutritionists do this part. And so I compiled all this justification for why what they had to do was not such a big risk that we could do this, you know. And I was real practiced, and I had like a, a flip chart, and I had my 3 by 5 cards, and I had on my notes, flip the chart. So then that meant, you know, then I would flip the chart. I mean, it was that rehearsed and practiced, and, you know, and I had delivery lines at the right place for the right emphasis, and a lot of pathos and drama. And uh, it was a luncheon meeting, and I, I got up to... Uh, to get ready, I went and was in the hospital in some little back cubicle. I said, I'll look over my cards one more time. I couldn't figure out what any of it meant. It was all hieroglyphics. I couldn't, what? Flip chart? And I was petrified. So what did I do? called my sponsor. Yes. So I went into somebody's cubicle and I called my sponsor and I said, I have to cancel this. I cannot do this. This is like not, uh, you know, I'm going to fail, blah, blah, blah. She said, well, why don't you uh, get down on your knees in that little cubicle and you pray and say the St. Francis prayer that you want to be an instrument of thy will, a channel of thy peace and let God flow through you and blah, blah, blah. I said, What? I said, are you kidding? I said, that crap is fine for those meetings. But this is medicine. And so what did she say? That's what I would do. Okay, so that's what I did. So uh, I did that, and I got up, and I gave this talk. And to me, it was just so boring. I was standing there, and I was like, behind the podium, behind myself saying, kick it in, kick it in, you know, trying to, trying to get back what I knew I had, and instead I just lit the chart and told them the deal. Well, I heard applause, so I sat down, I said, it's over, and I left, I was very demoralized and very depressed, I went to a meeting that night and just really complained like crazy, dumped on the whole meeting about what you'd made me into, <laughs> that I, I used to have some personality, and I used, you know, now I'm like a California surfer, like a pot-smoking nothing, and uh, unfortunately, the next day, I walked into the hospital, and these nurses said, God, can I work on your unit? I heard that doctors are really impressive. Yeah, 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 I want to get training. I have a diabetic guy in 402 to refer to you, blah, blah, blah. I was petrified. I was not happy. And I had to do a lot of work around that. It took me a long time to accept that that I wasn't crazy, that my world was not all that was going on, that there was more going on than my little pea brain knew about. Maybe in the, any of you ever hear that old radio show where that guy said, more things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. It used to be an old radio show like that. He was like the shadow, the shadow nose. And then the, this other guy said, more things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. 
And by the way, another phrase that I've learned in this program is prayer does not change God. It changes the prayer. I become different when I pray. But anyway, what I got to learn at that moment was that what those doctors needed was just the facts, ma'am, only the facts. They just wanted something with the facts. And if I had gotten up there with my little dancing doll, razzmatazz, convincing them, they would have nixed the whole thing. But instead I asked, it was sort of like a responsive thing, to respond to what their needs were instead of what my brain had organized. Well, it was a very big lesson for me because I totally had lived my life on my wits and my brain and all of that. And here was a, a clear, stark message that my brain didn't know everything. Hello. Uh, you know, they say your best thinking got you here, right? So that was a very, very big awakening for me. And, and actually, I was just reminded my dad died last year after a bout with Alzheimer's. And uh, I am a lot like my dad. And my dad had always loved his brain. And uh, he was very, very smart and great. And, uh, you know, when it, when it was happening, he said, you know, I know I'm going in and out. He knew it. And, uh, you know, I had to watch that happen for him. So... Uh, anyway, it's been happening for me earlier. <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying that I've become brainless, but uh, just calling on other factors. Uh, so that was a very big spiritual time for me. And then, and then other things. Uh, my husband was alcoholic. He lost his job due to his alcoholism. And that threw me into uh, Al-Anon and... Uh, I said, I've got to leave the SOB. And my sponsor said, well, we recommend you don't make any major decisions for at least a year. I said, okay. And I kept debating this issue. Should I go? Shouldn't I go? He, oh, we had this house in San Pedro, and, and uh, I did my private practice in the guest house out and back. So I had it all wired that uh, he should go. Because why, would I, why should I have to rent an office? And I still had a job. I could maintain the payments. And I said, yeah, and you know, maybe we'll get back together and, and I'll, I'll save the house. And I had all these great ideas. And, uh, you know, never argue with a drunk, they say. So anyway, and things got worse. There were more beatings and more problems. And, uh, and a lot of debt, you know, he would be out charging things, you know, set them up, boys. He'd, charge, he'd set up the whole bar, and then he'd write a charge card, and they wouldn't let me stop the charge cards. They said they need both people, and oh, no, no, and creditors calling me, you know, the whole thing. The whole thing we live in these rooms. And uh, so I, uh, I was always debating that one, and... Uh, I went to a group where I was getting training in Gestalt therapy, and we did we did therapy on each other in the group. And I came in after one particular beating and did some work beating pillows and crying and the things we did to to deal with our feelings. And uh, and then the woman who was uh, working on me, 
I, I explained to her about the guest house and the clients and the mortgage and, you know, all these things I've just told you. And she said, yeah, there will always be something. Bong. And it was like chapel bells went off. Little brown church in the veil. The sun shined in. When you stay abstinent, your body tells you. The body doesn't lie. The head lies. So it was like, boom, crystal clear. So the next day, Howard came back in off a drunk and wanted to fix me breakfast. And uh, I said, no, Howard. I said, one of us is leaving today. If it's not you, it's me. But we can't do this one more day. And I said it with the greatest love. I cared about him very deeply, and I really wanted him to make it. But I just didn't want to do that one more day. And uh, he said, okay. And he left, and he eventually died of alcoholism. Sad story. Um, So, houses is interesting. And I'll just tell this last story, and then I would rather stop and have questions. Um, Because I also had this house in Manhattan Beach that I was madly in love with. Oh, that's another story. But um, anyway, when I got this house, it was a third more than anything else I was looking at. And I said, I can't afford it, but i got to have it. And I figured it out that if I never bought another blouse for the rest of my life... (laughs) that I could have this house, you know, and then you'd wait till April till the tax money came back and it, it was all wired, my head, you know. And so I got that house. I was madly in love with it. And a week later came this big conflict with this psychiatrist I had been working with and he had been my mentor for years. But there was a lot of jealousy and stuff going on because I kept just getting known in my field. Believe me, I was not promoting. I wasn't doing nothing. And and he said, you know, if the media ever comes and wants to talk about what you're doing here, you know, you send them to me because uh, you're a recovering person. And he said, it will make you eat or drink, probably. And uh, besides that, I'm a doctor, and we want this to be sold by a doctor. And I said, yes, Daddy. You know, I, but that's honestly how I felt. You know, I agreed with him that moi, you know. And so anyway, a lot of things happened. And um, um, anyway, I won't go into all that stuff. But, <laughs> but what did happen is that he, he was always after me. And I, I would do all these, like, uh, kind of, these training huddles with my Al-Anon sponsor before I'd go into my meetings with him, you know, and she'd say, this is what you say. And I learned a lot of cool things. Like, one one thing was that when someone is like, ah, in your face, that you could say, I'll think it over and I'll get back to you. God, it seemed like such a white person's thing, in my opinion, you know, in terms of where I'd come from. You know, my family was like, we were knee-jerk. Like, before you even said it, we had the answer. You know, like, do not get out of your mouth, and I'll answer you back, you know. And here, this Alanon person, this little sweet person, was talking about creating time and space in your life that you let what they had to say just kind of, bask over you 
you could say, respectfully, I'll think it over and I'll get back to you. Big deal things. You know, just all these little kind of normal, polite things I had never encountered in my entire life. I didn't even tell you. I was telling you, you know, like the AA story about all the street activities that I have lived through. But, uh, so anyway, things got worse and blah, blah, blah. So he said, you have to do this, what I want you to do. And it, there were two aspects of it. One, it was degrading. He said, you have to be humbled and I'm going to humble you. And my sponsor said, the program humbles you. And that's not what you go to the workplace for. Do not seek love in the marketplace, which was also a big deal for me because I'd gotten a lot of love in the marketplace. And uh, so the first part of it was that the, the degradation part d d d d d <laughs> that I can't even say. But this whole incident made me eventually write a pamphlet for Hazelden called Humility versus Humiliation because that particular issue is just really big in recovery. And, uh, but anyway, so the degradation part, and the other part was that it was illegal. I was a state-licensed person, and it was really unethical for me to, to do this. And uh, so I said, I'll think it over. I'll get back to you. And the next week I said, you know, do consideration, but I really can't do that. I said, you could do this and this part if you want, but I can't do that part. And he said, okay, you're fired. Well, it wasn't just a firing. I had created the nation's first eating disorder unit, and I was madly in love with it. I was split with my husband by this time. I was a total workaholic. It was every cell of my being was in this thing. And it was like my baby was just pulled out of my arms. And all the counselors said, well, we're going to walk off the job. And I said, no, no. You know, just proceed, blah, blah. And everyone in my family said, you got to sue the SOB, can't do this, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I went to a meeting, and little Annie, that some of you may remember, Annie said, God doesn't close one door without opening a new one. I said, you take your door, you know. I don't want to hear this. And uh, anyway, great things came to pass from that. You know, the same as like this, that's, story about the guy with the broken horse leg. I mean, how did I know? How did I know that I was supposed to go ahead on my own, outside of daddy's apron strings, and become the full professional I was supposed to be? I didn't want to. Most of the time, I've gone heel screeching into recovery. It's like, I don't want to. I don't want to. Especially the good stuff. I don't want to. And uh, so I had... And before I got the next uh, situation I was in, I had a lot of time to finally finish this book I'd been writing. And uh, it was a book based on my experiences in this treatment center. And uh, I'd written it for my Ph.D. dissertation. I said, I'll rewrite it for a popular audience because I want to get out of this field and I want to just say what I had to say. Anyone can read it who feels like it, and I'm out of here. So instead, the book became a national bestseller. It slam-dunked me back into the field. I ended up going all around the country training people and developing units and etc. And then in the 90s, I guess it was, when damaged care came to California, I, I just couldn't do it. We had, a, we had had such an idyllic chance to do really great treatment in the old days. And 
I found my psychiatrists were every day on the phone with clerks arguing for another day of treatment, and it just wasn't cool. So, anyway. So, okay, oh, so about the house. So, because see, I had just moved into this house with this mortgage. Baba, and you're fired. And actually, when I was writing inventory, I was sitting in the house, and I was writing about how I should go for this, what he told me to do, and I should let myself be degraded. What's the big deal? It's ego on your part. I kept writing to talk myself to stay in a bad situation. And uh, I looked at the front door, and I said, if I go for this, I won't be able to walk through the door without vomiting. I would have sold my soul to the devil. And that's why I had to go back in and say, I can't do that. Well, anyway, I saved the house, I, and I got another deal. And so finished the book during that break in no work. Then, you know, all this happened. Big television shows, Oprah Winfrey, many stuff, many stuff. And uh, then I, about... I guess about 12 years ago, I, I took myself back to New York, and I had three agendas. It was going to uh, launch my career further, uh, establish a home in New York as a beachhead for retirement, and meet a nice Jewish boy. Mm-hmm. And um, so the career did not skyrocket in New York. It kind of just kind of evened out. And... Uh, I did get the place, the apartment, and met the most fantastic, wonderful man in the world. And um, so partway into all that, all this crap kept happening with the house in Manhattan Beach, with the tenants, with the building department. I was going through all this stuff long distance and being kind of a nervous, crazed person. So I said, you know what? I'm going to sell the house. I'm going to put it up at a really high price. And... uh, and see if it sells. And I listed it Friday, and then Sunday we went to this Buddhist temple near my place in New York, and Henry's like so against all this stuff. He's a real scientist. He's a veterinarian. But I said, come on, come to the Buddhist temple, you know. So this particular temple does chanting. We're standing there. He's pretending he's davening, you know, (laughs) in this Buddhist thing. And uh, so we come home from the temple, and the phone's ringing off the hook, and this realtor says, your place is the only place in Manhattan Beach. These people are just here for the weekend. They want to buy it. So I sold the house. So, and I told him, next Sunday I'm going back to the temple. <laughs> he said, you're crazy. I went back. Thank you. So anyway, as it turned out, though, then greed was operative in my heart. And uh, I said, I'm going to take the profits from this house, and I'm going to invest them in tech stocks. <laughs> so... You know that story. (laughs) So there went my retirement right down the drain. And I still, for the past two years since I've been back living in California, uh, I I write past that house and I have all this longing and regret about I shouldn't have sold that house. I could have had it for my office when I come in from Palm Springs and this and that. And uh, I've, I've had a lot of angst about it. You know, and I was thinking today about talking about it here, because it's, it's evening up now. I mean, it's lessening a lot. But a lot of things are, if I had been involved in that rigmarole with that house, I would not have been investing what I was in that relationship. 
I, I really knew this is a quality man. This is not like what, where I've been before because I've been around. And uh, this is a real quality person who wants your time and company. He wants your interest in him. He wants, you know, and he gives interest back to me. So, so there, if, I, if it was a choice, I want to be with this man. He's just fantastic for me in so many ways. We're great for each other. We're a darling couple. We really are. And, uh, but I was thinking about belonging, you know, and uh, I actually wrote a book about sexuality and eating and talked a lot about how we have to live with longing. And there's a Rumi poem called Howling Dogs. And it's just a wonderful thing about these dogs wailing in the night and crying for their master and somebody wants to come and help them out or why. And the answer is that's love. That howling dog is the dog wants to howl for his master. So I want to have this longing and regret about this house. It kind of, uh, you know, there's a lot we have to work through in recovery about vulnerability and not being such hot shots and tough. And So that lesson is big for me in that way, that longing. And I hate to sound materialistic. It's not about the house. It's actually because that house is close to the AA meeting that I love, the morning meeting. And even when I come into L.A., I stay down there so I can go to that morning meeting. So anyway, um, so our first lesson about longing is slicing that grapefruit. You know, I want to have a Danish. And instead I boil those eggs and I slice that grapefruit. And I long, but I settle. And... Uh, that's the fellowship of the spirit in some way. It's not about suffering. Uh, it's about growing up, you know, and, uh, you know, about, um, you know, the third step about is it my will or God's will? That's always the question, that debate, yada, 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 you know? Uh, the Buddhists say that if you're doing God's will, you're probably going to have it easier. They say, enlightened action creates no wake. That it's like a knife through butter or a knife through water creates no wake. So, so that's what we strive for here, but to have some longing with it, a little regret, a little tincture of uh, seeking. The howling dog is seeking. Seeking his master. And, uh, you know, early on in AA, uh, Bill Wilson wrote to Carl Jung, who was very hot in those days, about helping alcoholics. And he said, you know, most of you have probably heard the story, but he said, you know, there's really no medical help for people like you. He said, uh, it's, a, it's a spiritual thing, and you suffer a cosmic homesickness trying to get on home. And... Uh, I am so grateful that I found my home here because you're the best thing that ever happened to me. Thank you.
didn't leave very much time for questions. Okay, one. You got it. Yes, uh, the question is, what has been my process to heal my relationship with food and my body? Uh, you know, a lot of times in treatment, when people had a robotized way of only acting one way, we'd say, let's go with the opposite. Try on the opposite. Uh, so I, I think the greatest healing for me has been total immersion of going toward the food. Now, these are dangerous things to say in OA, but you asked it. But uh, I'm not opposed to food or any foods or food substances. I'm respectful and I pay attention to what different things do to me and for me. And I don't like sugar withdrawals. So uh, that said... uh, I teach myself and others often about savoring my food and sucking it dry and more mindful consciousness going toward it, being fully in it instead of running in fear. I don't think fear is healing. You know, all those warnings never work for us. And um, so that's part of it. And then in terms of my body... uh, Ask me what's the most what's the most important thing in comedy. Ask me. What's the most important Timing. thing? Timing. <laughs> so. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so it's like time will help you uh, love your body because uh, you know I had to go through my menopausal problems with you know gaining weight and menopause. No, and no matter what, it won't it won't budge and. Uh, and now I have a little hip problem where, you know, walking is sometimes difficult. And, uh, you know, uh, life uh, teaches you acceptance. Uh, but I also, I think in treating myself to be such a beautiful person inside, I'm not, I, I think I'm very attractive and I like her, but uh, it's not the, you know, the biggest deal. Okay, thank you.